You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Amen. As you're being seated, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation. We'll go to chapter 1. I didn't get a chance to print notes, um, but I can post those on the city. We do have them available in the Google Drive folder um, as well. So I told you today would be a little bit different with me being on vacation last week and a lot of my study time being unexpectedly interrupted with um, Ben's sickness and us not getting back when we had originally planned to. Um, That's okay because I really did want to spend some time today with Easter kind of breaking things up a little bit, and then we spent the one week talking about just a proper understanding of confessing sin in light of us seeing multiple times in chapter 16 the people's failure to repent of their sin I mean just the challenge that it presents to us as believers that we're called to repent of our sins and to be encouraged by the fact that as we confess our sins um, Jesus is very faithful to forgive us of our sins Um, and it's a an important reminder to us we talked about how Satan and and his demons have been cast out of heaven where um, he had been that adversary, that, that one who was accusing the brethren, and, and now we see in his place Jesus standing as the advocate for us. Um, and so Jesus is there to forgive us of our sins, to be an advocate for us. And so uh, with us being away from Revelation really the last two weeks, um, I thought it was good uh, for us to to kind of refresh ourselves on some key points that we've already talked about things that we need to make sure that we're doing and and just give us some time today to reflect upon those things and, and even ask questions if you need to. So don't feel like you can't stop me if we need to talk about some of these things a little bit more in depth. Um, there's 10 of them that I want to bring your attention to this morning and we'll kind of walk through those slowly um, and give you the chance to give any feedback that you may need to or any questions that you may want to ask. And like I said, we'll jump into 17 and 18 next week, um, but we'll probably do kind of a, an introduction to 17 and 18 by talking about um, what scripture has to say about sexual immorality since that comes up again in chapter 17 and 18 and so um, like I said we may even have our kids do their kids class a little bit later that day so that we can um, talk openly about what scripture has to say about that topic but from a summary sentence standpoint this morning if we fail to hear the book of Revelation and do the book of Revelation then we will ultimately fail in our study of Revelation I'm going back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to to show to his servants the the things that must uh, soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. It's been a long time since we were here in Revelation chapter 1, and we started off our whole study um, with the idea that the reason we were doing this study is not to satisfy our curiosity about the future, right? But instead to get a more clear, accurate picture of Jesus, because the book of Revelation is a revelation about the future, but it's ultimately a revelation of Jesus Christ and how Jesus executes the future. Um, And we said that in studying it, we expect to be blessed in our studies if we read it aloud, which we want to faithfully do each Sunday. That's why I want to read the text uh, of what we're going to be teaching so that we hear it. Uh, We hear it being proclaimed uh, out loud. Um, Blessed are those who hear it 
and who keep what is written in it. And so there's a, a necessary component for you guys to, to be present, to hear the reading of God's word and to hear the teaching of God's word and to then obey what you've heard. And, and certainly that applies to all of scripture, but that promise specifically given uh, as an introduction to the book of Revelation, I think is worth reminding ourselves of today. We must not lose sight of the clarity that we find in this book amongst all the mystery that still remains, right? And we said we should expect mystery to still remain. Nowhere in Revelation does it say that we will have all of the answers when we're done reading it. In fact, as a reminder, Revelation 10 verse 4, we're reminded that that there's even a portion that was spoken to John and John's told to seal that up to not write that down. So we don't even have access to that information, Right? John saw some things or at least heard some things that he was not permitted to write down. And so there certainly should be mystery that remains when we conclude our study in the next couple of months. Um, there's going to be questions that we're still asking ourselves, and that's okay. That's healthy for us to continue to ask those questions. We shouldn't expect that we could figure out all of God's plans simply by reading his, uh, his revelation here. There's some things that remain uh, away from us, that remain veiled to us in some aspects. But we can't lose sight of the fact that very much has been given to us, right? There's a lot of clarity here in the book of Revelation. And if we fail to see that, if we miss it, we hear it, but we don't obey it, then we've ultimately failed in our study. We may have satisfied your curiosity about the Antichrist. We may have satisfied your curiosity about the mark of the beast. But if we have not sought to apply the things that we've, we've heard and spoken, then we've really failed in our study. Um, and so that's ultimately what what I wanted to do this morning, what I wanted to accomplish this morning was to remind us of, of I think, 10 key application points uh, for us to take away and to really ponder as we continue through our study. Because like I said, we're coming to this end pretty quickly. Um, like I said, I think we'll definitely be done by the end of summer, but I think even before the end of summer, we'll wrap up our study in, in Revelation. And so um, we're coming to the, the end of it very soon. And so I think it's important for us to remind ourselves of things that we've already heard things that we need to be obedient to as we come to the end of this study. All right, so let's jump in with number one. I think this theme, uh, and, and what I did in my, in my week this week is, is I went back and read through all of Revelation 1 through 16 again. Not my notes, I just simply opened up the Bible and just read through all of Revelation 1 through 16 and began to jot down things that, that stood out to me in ways because we've studied Revelation that previously probably wouldn't have stood out in the ways that they did. Things that just kind of jumped off the page because of our time in the book of Revelation. So these 10 things are things that that don't come from my notes. These aren't 10 reminders of things that we've already given you. These are 10 reminders of, of things that are just true throughout the book of Revelation. So I just sat down and began to read chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and as things began to jump out to me, things that were, were, were stated over and over again, things that were repeated, things that were consistent themes, I began to write those things down. And, and one for me that really stands out is the, the call that we have to fear God and to give him the glory for everything. I think that theme runs throughout the book of Revelation as we've seen. We've unpacked this in some capacities before, but the idea is here we are to fear God and to give him glory for everything. You'll remember the angel shouts that out in in the last couple of chapters that we've looked at, that, that mankind has a responsibility to fear God and to give God glory for everything. The story being told in Revelation is that God rescues man from everywhere. 
from everywhere. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, gives us that picture of God rescuing from everywhere. Um, They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. God's saving people from everywhere. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Throughout the book of Revelation, we're, we're given this promise and a, and, a, and a visual of the fulfillment of that promise that God saves people from everywhere. Not just Jewish people, not just white people. He saves people from everywhere. Man, one of the, one of the things that I was told in, in anticipation of our cruise that I would not like is the, the fact that most of the people that work on the cruise are from other countries, and, and it's hard to understand them. They speak English, but not necessarily very well. <clears throat> Man, it was one of my favorite parts about the cruise. Right, like all these people have name tags on and the countries that they're from. Man, I just wanted to, I would have loved to have had the time to just talk and, and figure out, how did you get here, right? Like, how did you get from that country to working on this cruise ship here? Um, man, people from all, all over the place, all kinds of countries and, and, and different languages and nations and cultures that were represented on this boat. And, and it was just cool to interact and to see and to hear their accents and to, to kind of speculate and wonder like, man, where do these people come from and, and, and what led them here? And, and certainly as I'm seeing them, like I'm reminded of what we're talking about in Revelation, that, that people, maybe not these people, but people from their countries are going to be there in heaven rejoicing one day. That God is in the business of saving people from everywhere, not just from our culture, not just from our city, but from everywhere. And man, it was such a good reminder this week to see that on the cruise ship, to interact with people from, from other countries and to be reminded of this truth that, that God is telling a story in Revelation of how he plans to save people from everywhere. And he does so by bringing proper justice upon sin. That's a truth that we've been seeing and, and going over multiple times in Revelation, that, that God is saving people, and he's doing so by bringing proper justice upon sin. He does that in two ways, right? He does that through the slain lamb who, who absorbs God's wrath on behalf of his people. So there's one aspect there where God is saving a group of people by pouring out his wrath upon Jesus Christ. But then he saves that group of people from everybody else by bringing proper justice upon those who fail to believe in him. Revelation chapter 6, verse 6, the last chapter that we've been in. Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. God's saving man. He's doing that by, uh, by, by the work of Christ. And then he does that by sending Christ to bring proper justice on those who fail to repent of their sin. God's favor time and time again in Revelation is seen to fall upon those who fear him. This is a descriptive way of revealing who Christians are. They are people who fear God. Revelation chapter 11, verse 8. Long verse. Let's go to Revelation 14, 7. 
And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is a description of those who, who fall under the favor of God. It's those who fear him. It's those who worship him. What does it mean to give God glory? We see that throughout Revelation 2. Not only do we fear him, but we give him glory. Um, an article that I was reading on Desiring God says it means to feel and think and act in ways that reflect God's greatness. A couple of passages draw our attention to the fact that we are called to live in such a way that we point others to God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 is one of those. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So when we talk about fearing God and giving him glory, one of the ways that we do that is through the way that we live our lives. Because Jesus tells us that we live in such a way that we, we shine like a light. We do good works in such a way. So, so the way we live our life, we, we pursue good works. And the way that we pursue those good works, it's meant to point others to the greatness of God. That idea is echoed in um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The way that we act, the way that we live, it's meant to point others to his greatness. I think we get this idea even more clearly in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. It says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pause there for just a second and kind of unpack that because if we're not careful, we, we leave the idea of fearing God and giving him glory as this kind of lofty idea and we don't really get an idea of how to really flesh that out. Okay, so in the passages that we've just read, we're saying that to fear God and to give him glory is tied to how we live our life and how we pursue good deeds, that the things that we do are meant to point others to God's greatness. And then I think Paul gives us some specifics on how that looks in Colossians chapter three. He says, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Just pause for a second. Those of you that have jobs where you, where you answer to somebody, just pause and think through. Do you do everything in obedience that you've been asked to do? If you're like the people that work for me, you do not, Right? Like, I constantly have to remind my employees that you have not done the things that I've asked you to do. You've done a lot of the things that I've asked you to do, right? But you have not obeyed fully the things that I've requested that you do. And I've asked you to do them for specific reasons, right? For good reasons. And you fail to do those things. One of the ways that we give God glory is we strive very intentionally to be obedient to our earthly masters, to the people that give us tasks to do. Man, we seek to do that to the fullest, uh, to the best of our abilities. We're very intentional. He says, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. 
I'm convinced that if you were that type of employee, it would immediately draw some questions. Because I don't think there's that many people that, that work that do everything that their earthly master tells them to do. Because Paul's having to remind us to do that here as Christians. Right? So you, you, certainly a lot, of, a lot of people work with unbelievers. Man, I guarantee you they're not doing everything they've been asked to do. They cut corners. They, they minimize some things. Oh, he doesn't really mean that, or she doesn't really mean for us to do that. That's just a suggestion. It's not really something that we have to do. Man, he says obey in everything. Those are your earthly masters. And then he attacks our motive for doing so, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So he says, one of the ways that we do, we, we, we live our life in such a way to give God glory is that we obey those that, that, that we work for and we obey them fully. Everything they've asked us to do, we try to do it. And we're not doing it for their recognition. We're not doing it to be recognized by our boss. Like we don't, we don't try to obey him and then expect to be named employee of the month. Because at that point, like now we're not giving God glory, right? That, that may be a byproduct. Like you're most likely going to be named employee of the month if you strive to live this way. But that's not the motivation. He says, you do it not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Because if my goal is to be employee of the month or, or employee of the year, whatever it is that, that is done in your workplace, man, the motivation why I'm doing it is to get personal recognition, right? It's to get personal glory from this. I'm going to do this not because you've asked me to do it, but because of what I hope to get by doing it. Paul says, obey in everything those who are, who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. The motivation here is that I do this because God's told me to do it. Because God's told me to do it. Not because the earthly master has told me to do it, but because God has told me to obey the earthly master. Right? So, so I'm obeying it, and I'm not questioning it because I answer to a higher authority than even this guy. God told me to do whatever this guy tells me to do. And so I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to do it so that this guy recognizes me. Because he goes on to say, whatever you do, uh, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as the reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So Paul challenges us here. The way that you do your job ought to point people to, to Jesus, and it ought to bring great glory to God because you're going to do it in such a way where you're striving to be fully obedient to your master. You're not doing it in such a way that you're disappointed if you're not named employee of the month because that's not why you set out to do this. You set out to do it because God told you to obey that master. And whether you get any recognition or any payback for your extra effort, it doesn't matter to you. Because in the end, you're being obedient to the Lord and you know that your reward, your, your payment, your, your, um, your recognition comes down the road, right? Because you're working for a greater master than the one that you're answering to here on this earth, right? So, so we work in such a way and we work with the right type of attitude. He says to work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, which means I can have the, the, this day where, where I'm, I'm as obedient as I possibly can be to my boss, I do everything that I'm asked to do. I get zero recognition at the end of the day and I come back the next day and I'm not discouraged by that. I'm not like, man, why would I do that again today? I didn't get any recognition for it yesterday. 
I'm, I'm still working for the Lord. I'm not, I'm not doing it to please man. I'm working for the Lord. You put together a string of weeks, a string of months, a string of years with that type of perspective for how you approach your job every day, man, that, 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 that starts to point people to God in, in a whole different way than, than we've ever seen probably. When we're working with that type of motivation, working with the right attitude, because some people can kind of can conjure up a desire, I mean, I'm going to really try to be a great employee this week. And by the end of the week, when recognition hasn't come, you kind of fall back into your old habits and you say, man, what was that even for? Right? Like if he's not going to even notice it, if he's not going to even draw attention to it, but I can go back to doing it the way that I was doing it. Work heartily for the Lord, not for man. And it results in God getting the glory. Fear God, give him the glory for everything. I think that theme runs throughout Revelation. I think we've seen it multiple times. We live in such a way to point others to God. We pursue good deeds. It's why we were saved. Ephesians 2.10, Titus 2.14. Both those passages say that we were saved to do good works. We were saved to be zealous for good works. We weren't saved just to do good things. We were saved to want to do good things, right? It's like I was sharing with you uh, in my conversation with AJ. We were talking about, man, as Christians, it's not just about not doing sinful things. It's about now I want to do the right things. I become zealous or passionate for doing good things. Fear God and give him glory for everything. All right, number two, repent of your sin and sins. Repent of your sin and sins. What I mean by that is that we have a responsibility to repent of our sin in general, right? Like that that salvation repentance that we talked about two weeks ago. And then we have the responsibility to repent of our individual sins after salvation. And God has given us an excessive amount of time to do so, right? Like we've seen throughout Revelation time and time again, he did things, he warned, he did more things, he warned, and mankind failed to repent of their sins, failed to repent of their sins, failed to repent of their sins. An excessive amount of time has been given to this. We've seen uh, two weeks ago that we repent of our sin in general, but we do it on a daily basis as well, not to keep ourselves saved, not to earn salvation. We do it for personal cleansing and healing and change, right? Like we talked about the fact that if we don't confess our sins, we either take sin too lightly, right? Or we don't take it, uh, we don't take it serious enough. If, if I don't confess sin like I should, then I'm either taking it too lightly to where I don't even really think about my sins. I just go about my day. I just keep doing my things and, and I'm in habits of sin and I'm not confessing them and I don't even realize that they're sins sometimes. I'm just taking it too lightly. If we don't confess our sins though, sometimes we take it too seriously in the sense of we, we beat ourselves up and we live in a state of condemnation almost. And we completely ignore what Romans 8, 1 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Right? Some of us fall in the category that, man, we are so hard on ourselves, we need the act of confession to, 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 to see and experience that forgiveness on a daily basis from Christ. Not to, not to be saved again, not to keep our salvation, but to just maintain a healthy relationship with Christ that, hey, I, I did something, I know that's offensive to a holy God, I need to confess that, I need to get that off my chest, I need to verbalize that so that I can experience kind of a daily cleansing of it. If you're like me, you fall into the category of, I take it too lightly, right? Like I'm not over here beating myself up. I'm over here trying to figure out if I sin at all. 
right? Like, like I, need, I need to have the daily time where I sit back and say, I'm not what I should be. Where am I not where I should be? Right? I need the light to shine into my life and to reveal the, the, the darkness that's still there. Some people live in the darkness constantly and need to be reminded that they've been rescued into the light. We either take it too seriously or too lightly when we fail to confess sin regularly. And throughout Revelation, I think we've seen a reminder to repent of our sin and our sins. So right off the bat, two things that we should be pursuing. A daily perspective where we're getting up every morning trying to figure out how do I give God the most glory today? As I wait for Jesus to come back, Revelation has told me my job until he comes back is to fear him and to give him glory. And to fear him in such a way where, where I, I'm so concerned about what he's told me to do, and that's really all that matters to me, right? Think about the fact that for me, like for me, I fear my boss at Trinity, especially because we just changed bosses. And so you're, you're kind of like, man, all the, the bank of all the good things I've done in the past are now kind of reset. Here's a, here's a new guy that I answer to, doesn't have the history with me, you know, if I mess up, I don't have years of good to kind of uh, atone for that, right? So, man, I fear my boss, but I have a great relationship with him. Like, we can sit and talk football. We could sit and go to lunch together. Like, I'm not scared of him, but I'm fearful of him. As I, as I go about my day, I really try to think through, what does he want me to do? What does he ask me to do? And if he calls and asks me to do something that's not on my to-do list, it immediately gets bumped up to the top, right? Immediately, this is what I'm doing today. Um, I had a plan that I had thought through, had all in place for something regarding our Chromebooks at school. He called and said, I don't like that. And I said, great, I didn't really like it either. You know, now that you mention it, like we need a different plan. Like let's scrap this and let's do something different, right? Like, man, I have a healthy respect, a healthy fear for him to where when he tells, tells me to do something, boom, it's at the top of the priority list. I think that's, what, that's, that's partially what it means to fear God and to give him glory. It's Whatever he has said in the book of Revelation, especially since we're studying it right now, I mean, that's got to be top priority. Top priority for anything and everything that we're doing, it's got to be top priority if God has said to do it. One of the things that he's told us to do is to repent of our sin and our sins. Number three, worship Jesus and not idols. Worship Jesus and not idols. Man, one of the things that we got to do on our cruise was to stop um, at the Mayan ruins and we actually got to go and visit uh, Mayapan, which is one of the capitals of the Mayan people. Um, and it was really cool to be able to kind of walk around and, and see the, the, the remains of their city. And they estimated that twelve to 15,000 people lived there and all these structures that were still in place. And to hear one of the natives there kind of talk about uh, what some of these things mean. And he kind of walked us through some of the visual representations of their gods that they worshipped. And so uh, there was an elephant that represented one of their gods, and um, he talked about the trunk being up, and it was a way that they expressed uh, prayer and desire um, and want for rain. And then there was another elephant with his trunk down, and he said this symbolized a, a, a thanksgiving for the rain that had been given. And so he was kind of walking us through some of the things that they did. And then we got to walk to the very top of this temple. And so it was, it's the kind of thing that you see typically, the, the pyramid type with the stairs. Um, and it is a lot steeper than it looks in the picture. I mean, we're all four climbing up it, and we're having to climb like with hands and feet to get to the top of it. And we get to the top, and, and you can kind of see the remains of, of where they would have offered sacrifices. And, and he told us, he said, over here, 
down on the ground, this is where they did the offerings. This is where they would have you know, used their fruits and their vegetables to worship their gods. He said, up there is where they took the sacrifices. And so to just kind of be there, it was kind of a surreal feeling um, to be there in light of what we've been talking about, the idea of, of um, worshiping false gods and worshiping the beast and, and potentially bringing sacrifices to that setting and, and to be in a place where you know Man had been deceived at one point and had offered things to gods that were not real. It was just a really surreal feeling to be there and to, to imagine that taking place in the very spot that you were standing and, and to, to kind of filter that through what we're learning in Revelation, to be reminded that, that Jesus is the only one who's worthy of our worship. He's seen as that throughout the book of Revelation. Um, obviously, I think we don't struggle in the same way of, of being deceived by false gods that we would bring sacrifices to, but we've certainly talked about the fact that, that we certainly give our affection and our attention and our money to things that are less superior than Jesus, right? Like, like we, we give our affection and worship to things, if we're not careful, to the things of this world that are passing away. And throughout Revelation, we're reminded that Jesus is worthy of our worship. And I think it's certainly clear that he's greater than we can comprehend the goal of Revelation is to reveal him to us, Revelation 1.1, but he's certainly greater than we can comprehend. He's shown to be holy and eternal and powerful and loving throughout the book of Revelation. We worship him best by knowing him and obeying him. Like that, that's how that gets lived out on a daily basis, knowing him, worshiping the true Jesus. We've talked about this. There's plenty of cults that we encounter um, throughout the, the months, the people that stop by our houses that, that claim to worship Jesus and they don't worship the same one. Right? They worship a, a created Jesus, a, a, a Jesus that, that fits the mold that they want him to fit. We worship Jesus best by knowing him through his word and by obeying him and what he says in his word. Fear God, give him the glory for everything. Repent of your sin and your sins. Worship Jesus and not idols. Number four, be on guard for a deceptive enemy. So I think two things are true. One, Jesus is far greater than we can comprehend. And I think our enemy is more powerful than we give him credit for. I think we probably typically fall into the category. There's some people that overemphasize the, the demonic world, overemphasize the, the satanic realm, and, and give it way too much attention, give it way too much power. <coughs> I'm one of those guys that probably falls in the category I don't give enough credit to it. Um, man, a, a great book to read alongside what we're doing in Revelation, just to remind yourself of spiritual warfare, is Lord Falgren's Letters by Randy Alcorn. Um, I'm reading it again. I've already read it before, um, but I'm, I'm hoping that I can take my eighth graders through it. I'm still trying to determine if it's too, if it's too heavy or not. Um, but, it, man, it's, it's basically an easier-to-understand version of the screw tape Letters. It's, it's letters back and forth um, from demons, but there's a narrative that goes along with it, which is what I love about it that screw tape letters does not contain, is that you get all the letters, but then you get the story playing out um, on the side too. So one chapter is a letter, the next chapter is the narrative. Um, and it's a great reminder of um, how easily we fall prey to temptation um, and how the spirit realm is probably at work around us. Um, and, and potentially contributing to some of that deception that we fall into. Um, be on guard for a deceptive enemy, because I think throughout Revelation we see how powerful Satan is. Ultimately, his power is rooted in God, and God has to, to give him permission to do all that he does. 
But I read a great article this week. I think it came out this week by Desiring God. Anybody read it? Talking about the um, the power of sin and how it took down uh, Samson, Solomon, and David. Man, like it, it was a really great article because it reminds us that the strongest man to ever live fell to sin. The smartest man to ever live fell to sin. The one who gets the godliest uh, title, a, a man after God's own heart, was bitten by sin. Right, like the the strongest, the smartest, the godliest all fell prey to sin, which is a great reminder that we're not exempt from it either, right? Because I'm certainly not the strongest, and I'm certainly not the smartest, and I'm certainly not the godliest, and if those guys can't, can't always beat sin, then I'm certainly not exempt from it, and I need to be on guard and aware. The encouragement, though, is that thankfully through Christ, we can be stronger, and we can be wiser. First John chapter 4, verse 4 talks about he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world, Right, So we don't give too much attention to Satan. We don't give too much power to Satan in the sense that we lose all hope. Because John reminds us, he says, he that's in you is greater than he that is in the world. Notice John doesn't say, you are greater than he that is in the world. Because Samson was not. And when the Holy Spirit was not with Samson, he certainly fell prey. Right? He that is in us, though, is greater than he that is in the world. So we can be strong enough to overcome sin through Christ's power. We can be wise enough to see the deception that comes. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 5. This is the, the passage that most people think is in response to the church discipline that takes place in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where they, they had to cast somebody out of their church for sexual immorality says, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Man, through Christ, we can, we can be made aware and, and see the attacks that come our way. Because he that lives inside of us is greater than he that is in the world, we can overcome those attacks and those deceptive traps. Because Christ is stronger, because Christ is wiser, right? Matthew twelve twenty nine talks about Christ binding Satan. Talks about him binding the strong man, coming into his house, and taking people as his own. All right, it's a picture of the gospel that, that, that God comes in, Jesus comes in, binds the deceptive Satan, and rescues people from darkness into light. He's certainly wiser than the tempter. Matthew chapter 4 tells us how, how Jesus overcame the temptation of Satan. That Jesus lives inside of us. That Jesus empowers us. Right? We can be stronger. We can be wiser. We need to be on guard against a deceptive enemy. We're not exempt from sin. Number five, serve other Christians because it's important. Serve other Christians because it is important. The reason I say that is because what I see throughout Revelation is that Jesus is coming to punish those who harm his people. Right? Jesus is coming to bring vengeance upon those who do not love his people, who do not take care of his people, who persecute his people which makes me realize I want to be on the opposite side, 
right? Like, I don't want there to be any confusion as to which one I am. I want to be one who serves and loves God's people faithfully. And I think that starts with recognizing that other people need us to survive what Revelation says is coming. Hebrews 3.13, we've read it multiple times in our study of Revelation, is that we are to exhort one another regularly so that no one is deceived and hardened to sin in, in their own life. And here's the thing, is, is that we, we want to claim that as a church we're a great family and that we love each other and we care for each other. But we can't discount the fact that people can come every week on a Sunday and feel completely disconnected from our fellowship and not feel like they're a part of it, even though we've placed them in a C group, placed them in an accountability group. It's not uncommon for people to come here and to not feel that, to not feel that. And that falls on every single one of us to fix that. Right? That's not Tyson and, and, and Adam and my job to, to do it better, to have more people over to our house, to try to invest in more people, because I, I promise you we've tried that route. And when we start focusing on this group that feels neglected, we can't have time to focus on this group, and then they start to feel neglected. And then we, we come over here, and it's just constantly like, who needs us next? Who needs us next? Right? And, and when we're focusing on one group of people, the other group of people is neglected. It, it, it's a complete group effort. I mean, I would challenge you, you don't have to do it right now, challenge you to look around at this room and realize that every single person in this room needs you. They need you to make it to the very end. Because we got plenty of people that would, would describe themselves as a type of person who doesn't fit with anybody else in this room. And that may or may not be true. That may or may not be true. But everybody can fit in this group. Everybody can fit in this group if we're all doing our job faithfully to include people in this group. Man, and, and, and because Tom shared this publicly, I'll, I'll kind of share with you the conversation we had with Tom because Tom said, man, I'm, I'm going through a time in life where, where I just don't have anybody here that, that I feel like can help me. And, and I'll be honest with you, as elders, we apologized. And we said, we have, we have potentially failed in our job as men in this church for you to, for you to feel like you feel that way. Like, that's on us. That's on us. And I, and I told Tom, I said, I hate the fact that you were going through one of your toughest years in the time when I was going through a, a lot of weariness in my own life. Because I, I told Tom, I said, I was not reaching out to you like I normally would have. I said, I was, I was in my own weariness, and I failed you as your pastor. I failed you as your pastor when you were going through some really difficult stuff. I said, that's on me. I own that. I own that. But man, all of us have a responsibility here. All of us have a responsibility here to love each other, to serve each other, to include each other, to, to look around and realize that everybody here needs everybody here. Everybody here needs everybody here for us to make it to the end. Everything that's described in Revelation is serious. It's difficult. It's hard. Like there's coming a day potentially where our lives are gonna be threatened for believing the things that we say we believe today. And I told you before, it's gonna be far easier to stand and take it if we're standing together when that type of stuff comes. We need each other to survive to the very end. Serve other Christians because it's important. Number six, do not fear what God controls and do not love what you don't control. Do not fear what God controls and do not love what you don't control. We've seen it over and over again. Everything that's happened in the book of Revelation, everything that's happening right now, everything that will happen does so by God's will. When these creatures come out of the ground, it's because God says they can. 
and they go where God tells them they can go, and they do what God tells them they can do, and they do it for as long as God tells them they can do it. God controls everything. Everything that's happened in the past in history, everything that's happening today, everything that happened yesterday with Ben and my schedule being thrown off, all of that is done by God's will. All of it answers to God. The one with the keys is controlling all of the events. We've talked about that. We don't need to fear anything that's to come. We can follow the lamb confidently wherever he goes. Revelation 14.4 describes Christians as people who follow the lamb wherever he leads them. They do so without fear because they know God's will is exactly where they need to be. We're also reminded, though, to not love our lives too much. Man, I want to love the one who controls everything. I certainly don't want to love the thing that I certainly cannot control, right? Months of planning for a cruise that would get me back at a certain time and give me an entire afternoon to be with my family and have extra time to study completely thrown out the window with with a bacteria that gets inside a bin, right? I can't control my life. I try to. I try to make plans, and God, God radically changes them constantly, I wake up early this morning to go study and I spend most of the time driving around looking for a place to study, right? Because for whatever reason, all these people didn't show up to work this morning to open up the places that I went to. I mean, I can't control my life. I certainly shouldn't love it because it certainly is going to let me down. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They've conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Don't love your life too much. You certainly don't control it. And be reminded that in the Lord's Prayer, we're praying for thy will to be done, not my will to be done. We should be longing for God's will to be done. And whatever that looks like, we should be content with. Number seven, be a lover of truth. Be a lover of truth. Do not tolerate or entertain false teachers. Hold fast to a true testimony of Jesus. Can't stress to you enough how important it is to know what Scripture has to say about Jesus, how he is revealed. But number two, do not allow for dishonesty or falsehood in your interactions with others. We talked pretty extensively about that, but just as a good reminder that truth is to be something that characterizes us as Christians. Revelation 14, 5, in their mouth talking about Christians, no lie was found for they are blameless. We should be pursuing truth in every aspect of our life. Be a lover of truth. So fear God, give him glory, repent of your sin and your sins, worship Jesus and not idols, be on guard for a deceptive enemy, serve other Christians because it's important. Do not fear what God controls and do not love what you don't control. Be a lover of truth. Number eight, be passionate for purity, especially sexual purity in your life. This is extremely important throughout Revelation. And like I said, we've probably stopped short of being as clear about it as Scripture is about it for the sake of our audience. And so next week, um, we'll separate a little bit so that we can be a little bit more candid about what Scripture is saying. In Revelation 2.20, I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I want us to take some time next week to talk about what do we really mean by sexual immorality? What do we mean by adultery? What do we mean by fornication? What do we, what do we mean by some of those words that are used in Scripture? Are we guilty of any of those things? Do we need to repent of any of those things? Okay? 
Um, and then what are we doing to protect ourselves from those things? What are you doing to maintain sexual purity in your life? Because throughout Revelation, we're told to be passionate for it, to be described as, as people of purity, um, to pursue purity in our life. Um, I think that stands out to me a lot in reading back through Revelation 1 through 16. Number nine, work hard to rest well. Work hard to rest well. Uh, Revelation puts, puts a lot of importance on our work and our deeds and our obedience um, and the importance of it. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Satan goes after. The ones that Satan wants are the ones that are obeying Jesus. Our obedience is important. Revelation fourteen thirteen. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Right? Like our deeds have eternal significance. They follow us into the next life. We're able to rest in the next life because of our deeds in this life. Work hard now to rest well later. Scripture has a lot to say, not just about our good deeds, but the motivation for our good deeds, right? Going back to Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. When uh, Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus, he says, I have this against you. Um, after he's described their works, right? I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You found them to be false. I know you were enduring patiently, bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. And he says, I know you're doing a great job. You're not weary about it. Um, You're doing a great job of eliminating false teachers. I have this against you, though. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you fall and repent, do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come, remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Talked about their motivation had gotten off, right? They weren't doing it out of love anymore. They were doing it out of duty. So our deeds are really important according to Revelation. The motivation for why we do them is extremely important. The, the passion that we have in doing them is really important. Revelation 3.15, our zeal. We're supposed to be zealous for good works. I know your works are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot, so because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Our zeal's important. Finishing strong is important as well. Revelation 3, 2. The finished product is important. Talking to the church at Sardis, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember what you received and heard. Keep it, repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you. They weren't finishing the job. They weren't completing the work. They weren't enduring until the end. Revelation thirteen ten. If anyone is to be taken captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Work hard. Do good deeds. Do it with the, with the purpose of giving God glory for those good deeds. Don't worry about human recognition. Be as obedient as you can be to the things that have been asked of you. Man, be obedient to what the spiritual leadership of this church is asking you to do with the same fervor and zeal that you strive to be obedient to your earthly bosses that give you a paycheck for it. Because it's not about the earthly payment, right? It's about the, the heavenly reward that's to come. 
man, be obedient, be obedient for the glory of God. And then lastly, number 10, pray knowing that you will be heard. Pray knowing that you will be heard. I hope you've, you've seen the message throughout Revelation that when our prayers are aligned with God's will, he answers them. He answers them. And we certainly can pray confidently when we're praying his will, knowing that he hears and that he will answer. Constantly we've seen those prayers going up upon the altar of God and, and God responding with those prayers and bringing the, the, the end time events to be in response to God's people praying. And so I want um, to kind of pray some of those things in conclusion before we sing a final song, um, to be able to pray some of those things in light of the things that we've been learning in Revelation. Um, but before we do that, our application, I'd, I'd, I'd really challenge you to read through Revelation 1 through 16 on your own this week too, and to write down some key things that jump off the page that probably previously would not have. Most of us probably would have struggled to read through Revelation 1 through 16 because we would have been so confused. I'd love to see you go back and try to do this now after studying it for a year or almost a year. Um, maybe a year, over a year, a little over a year. Yeah, we started in January uh, last year. Now that we've been studying it for a little over a year, go back and read through Revelation 1 through 16 and see if you can read through it more confidently and if you can draw some things out without looking back at our notes, but to just kind of go back and start pulling out truths that are there, reading it all in one chunk. Like, don't read one, chapter one, one day, chapter two. Read it all in one big chunk. Um, that's what I was convicted a little bit by what David Platt said. He said, man, this would have been read in a public reading um, all at one time to these early churches. They wouldn't have stopped and, and tried to digest chapter one, verse one for two weeks. They would have read the entire thing. So sit down and read chapter 1 through 16. It'll take hardly any time at all. And just start writing down some of the truths that stand out to you because that's all I did for today. That's all I did for today. I just started writing down some things that stood out to me that, again, would not have stood out to me previously had we not studied it. I would have I glossed over it. I would have missed it. Do this for yourself, too, because there may be some things that really stand out to you that I missed. Go back and read through chapter 1 through 16. You ought to be able to do it more confidently now. It'll help you get ready for chapter 17 and 18 that's coming. Write down some of the key truths and certainly give some thought and attention to, to the 10 that we talked about today. Because these are 10 things that I think are very clear that we're supposed to do. Revelation 1 tells us, blessed is the one who hears it and blessed is the one who does it. Um, these are 10 things that we certainly should be doing in light of what we've been told in Revelation. Let's pray together in light of what we've been studying. God, we do come to you today and we praise you and thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have given us much insight into things that are to come, how we can anticipate those things, how we can prepare for those things, and how we can ultimately respond when those things come. God, we rejoice over the fact that we see over and over in Revelation that you have a desire to save mankind from everywhere. And God, I pray for that specifically today. That you would continue to draw people from every tribe, nation, and tongue to your family. God, I pray for those individuals that we interacted with on our cruise ship this week that have been brought around specific people for a specific time each week. God, many of them coming from from lost family situations. Father, I pray that 
through the guidance of, of your hand that has led them to their job currently, that it would be used as a means of connecting them to the gospel and bringing them to salvation. God, I thank you for the people we had the chance to interact with on our excursions on, on Mexican soil. God, I pray that the conversations that were had would bring um, either salvation or, or growth in the area or in the lives of those that were already saved. Father, we pray confidently knowing that you desire this same thing, that people from every tribe, nation, and tongue would be saved. And God, we pray that you would bring that. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that are currently being persecuted for their faith. God, I pray that you would bring about a spirit of endurance into their hearts even today. God, help them not to love their lives. Help them not to love their lives more than they love you. Even if it means their death today, Father, we pray that they would love not their lives. But God, we pray for relief to come. Ultimately, through your son Jesus returning. God, we thank you and praise you that there's coming a day where justice will be served, persecution will stop, that the last martyr will die. God, we pray that that day would come soon, that you would relieve your people who are enduring persecution today. God, we pray that you would save the persecutors, that they would not have to be bearers of your wrath, but instead their their sins would be transferred to Christ and your wrath would be absorbed by him. We pray for their salvations as well. God, we pray for our own endurance that we would rely upon each other and that we would faithfully reach out to each other in such a way where everyone that you've blessed us with in this church would feel included as a part of this church. God, we know that you've given us a, a lot of the same type of people, a, a lot of young people with, with, with kids. God, I pray for our singles, that you would keep them connected to our church family. God, I pray for that those that are, that are older, that may feel like there, there's not a lot of people like them, that you would keep them connected to our church family. God, I pray for our, our youth um, that certainly can look around and say there, there's not as many of us here as there are at other churches. God, I pray that you'd keep them, keep them connected to our church family. Father, help us to realize that when we're in heaven, there's going to be a a lot of people like us, but certainly a whole lot more people that are not like us. God, help us to realize the things that make us most alike are the spiritual things that we claim to believe. God, I pray that we would help meet the needs of each other so that we can help sustain each other, so that we can keep each other enduring until the very end. Help us to be faithful to love each other the way that you've called us to. God, as we come together to sing one more time today, Father, I pray that you'd be honored by our lips. Pray that the words that we'd sing would be accurate and true for our hearts. And where it's not, God, I pray that you'd bring about conviction. Conviction that we would see throughout this week as we sin, that we'd be faithful to confess and repent, to experience the cleansing and healing that we need so that we can be ultimately changed more and more each day realizing that the more you change us, the more we're capable of bringing glory to you. Help us this week in the things that you've tasked us to do, to be obedient, completely obedient, with good attitudes, and to not be discouraged when we don't get earthly recognition for it. We'd be content with you being glorified and honored, and we'd be content with whatever reward comes down the road. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.